there, I'm Anna. And I'm Anton. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Scalpel. We understand that you actually did a creative writing course uh, selected for UQ medical students a while ago. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about that and why you did that? Yeah, sure. That was in, I think it was 2019 and 2020. <coughs> and um, <clears throat> the opportunity came along uh, because in a few universities in America, I think there have been creative writing courses for med students. And uh, one of the reasons for that is that too often when people, and I'm sure that you two uh, are among the exceptions, but too often when people um, test uh, beginning med students for uh, their empathy levels, they come out pretty low. And at the end of the degree, they come out even lower. Uh, and um, and that's not good. Um, uh, apart from empathy being a kind of important, decent thing, it's actually a really valuable tool when it comes to taking history. Um, it's part of establishing rapport with people. And if you don't have if you don't establish rapport, if you don't have that empathy, I don't think you're in as good a position to understand the answers you're getting to your questions because you need to know the context that they're coming from rather than just the words you're hearing. It's not someone sending you a text message explaining the symptom. It's someone sitting in front of you explaining it. And I think what you can get if you've got empathy is so much more than just the words and that can fine-tune the questions you ask uh, and can make you a much better history taker uh, and much more connected with the patient and the problem. And it can make you more efficient at the job. And there's this sort of feeling. Some One of the med students at UQ uh, a couple of years ago said to me uh, that uh, that they were, um, you know, they're doing a term in an emergency department or whatever. Uh, no, in some unit in a hospital. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but uh one of the specialists said, uh, yeah, you know, empathy is great, but, uh, but you know, we don't have time for that here. Uh, and I thought, if you, if you really know what it is and you use it effectively, it saves you time because it gets you to the heart of the problem faster, connecting with the patient, understanding the patient. It's, it, it's, it's, a, partic- it's a valuable thing, uh, not just a decent thing, not just a nice part of the interaction. So what I thought with this creative writing course was um, there were a number of different presenters. A couple of us had both medical degrees and writing PhDs. Um, the, the others were, write, were on the writing side of things. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to do three two-hour character write, character-based writing workshops. Uh, and I wanted to, and the students who took it, most of the, the students who took this course uh, were I suspect predominantly not going into this thinking I want to increase my empathy. I think they were thinking this is going to be fun. This is going to be different. This is not for assessment in the same way as other things are. Um, I like writing. I like reading. I want to try this out. Uh, and so I wanted to give them that kind of experience, but I also wanted to see if I could build the empathy into it. So what I did was my typical creative writing course that I do with school and university students and the general public is character-based. So I give um, building blocks for a character. They're kind of randomly selected. Uh, and then 
we go through a series of exercises and it looks at how by creating and interrogating a character, you discover a story and you don't get stuck because the character's always going to find, going to have the answers for you. So we did my normal character workshop the first time to get them using those tools, my, my writing tools. Uh, and then the second time I presented them with um, a clinical case. Uh, and then they had to take that case as the basis of the character uh, and use the same tools we'd used in the first workshop and um, apply that to develop, to, to tell the story of, that, the, that the patient was bringing in. So we would um, we'd then get a patient-based narrative uh, using the tools that I'd, that I'd introduced them to the week before. And then for the third week, they'd have to bring a case in from the wards um, that they were on uh, and we would do the same thing again. So what I wanted to, what I want to do was take a group of people, many of whom had never been in the position of being a patient in a, with a significant illness and flip the narrative so that it went from being doctor centered the way it was in their, in their everyday lives where they were, they'd turn up, they'd have a patient, they'd have to take a history, do an examination, present the findings, all that. And what I wanted to do was flip the polarity of that so that I put them in the patient position uh, and had them thinking about that interaction and then write that interaction. And I think the more time you spend deep in someone else's head that way, mm. I think that can really change the way you think about that interaction so that you are then mindful of the experience that the other person's going through. You won't know it exactly. You won't know exactly what they're going through, but it's on your mind that you are tailoring what you're doing and how you're presenting yourself and your questions to them and how you're reading them rather than you've just got this list of questions you go through with everyone and uh, they may or may not have a great capacity to answer them. So I wanted to make them spend time in heads that weren't theirs uh, and that were fictitious renderings of people they'd actually seen in a clinical situation so that the next time they went into a clinical situation, they might be thinking a bit differently. And did you notice any immediate impacts on those students? Do you see any growth in those workshops? Uh, it felt like that was happening. <laughs> I, there were sometimes moments when someone, particularly in the final one, when someone at the end of it would say they'd worked something out about the patient that they hadn't worked out uh, when they were in the ward taking the history. So there was a kind of light bulb for those people that went on straight away. Um, what I would have done, if the course had continued in the longer term, it would have been nice to have had a larger group of students and do the, and, and factor this into the empathy testing that's routinely done um, so that, uh, so that we could see if this course actually had a measurable impact. Um, anecdotally, uh, it had a, a, some students reported just those sessions having an impact on them. Uh, I can't say how enduring that was. Obviously, I hope it was. Uh, and I also hope that they, that, you know, they had a great time. They had a fun break from the intensity of regular medical study. Uh, and that they acquired a few writing skills that they can use anytime they get the chance. What well, sounds like just saying those studies out of America about empathy in, in med students from the start to the end of their degrees and then you taking part in this course at UQ, it sounds like you're still 
you've still got your fingers on the pulse, so to speak, about uh, the medical world. Do you still update your medical knowledge for new books or when writing medical characters? Yeah, I, I like doing that. So, <clears throat> which means it's ridiculously patchy. Uh, and there are some things I haven't updated since last century, but there are some areas that I've been reading about very recently. So, um, uh, it's a real advantage. I, yeah, I should have mentioned that earlier as well when you asked me about um, the things that my medical background brought to my writing is that anytime a, uh, anytime a, I nearly said a patient of mine, anytime a character of mine uh, has any kind of medical experience, uh, has an illness or, um, or a surgical procedure or anything medical at all, um, <coughs> I, I then go and do the research and sometimes if I'm writing something that's set in medicine in Brisbane in the 80s or early 90s, I can cover that from my own experience. If I'm writing something contemporary, it's likely that the approaches to treatment have changed over the years, but it's really easy for me to find how those things are treated now and read the appropriate scholarly articles uh, and because I've got the degree I have, uh, I can make sense of them. So, you know, I can I can understand how things have changed since then. So uh, I'm not coming at it as a complete outsider. So it does put me in a position to, puts me in a much better position to research anything medical that I need to research for my characters. So obviously having that background um, in medical school and training helps you digest all those, um, the new updated treatments and everything for um, conditions. How do you balance the line of um, when you're writing it in your novels, making sure that the information you're providing is medically accurate but still digestible um, for the average person to understand? Mm. So <clears throat> in the end, it's going to be presented to the reader not by me but by my characters. Uh, and so I can all I need to what I need to do is have a kind of have, a, have a, a relative insider's medical understanding of what's going on so that I've got, I so that my character's experience is close to authentic. But then what I'm recounting to the reader is the character's experience. So I'm not writing uh, a non-fiction piece. It's a fiction piece each time. So, um, so it's going to be how, it's going to be the character's lived experience of it. Uh, and that gives me an opportunity to present it in a way that I hope is largely accurate, uh, but that because it's filtered through the character, uh, it's also accessible. Um, there have been a small number of times when I've gone uh, a bit further with the research. I had a novel called Perfect Skin published in the year 2000, and I was researching that, I think, in, uh, in maybe late 1998. And I decided that my character, my central character, uh, was going to be doing laser skin surgery. And I'd never done that. Uh, and I hadn't even seen that. But uh, a dermatologist in Brisbane had written an article for me in my capacity as the edit medical editor of the magazine that I was working for. So I asked him if I could come into his clinic one day and, oh, and cool. see some laser surgery. So he's, so yeah, he said, he said, um, come in. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I went in one afternoon and he taught me how to use the, a couple of lasers. 
Uh, I, I did them on like a banana and an orange. Uh, and uh, so by the end of it, I could write my name pretty accurately on the banana uh, with a CO2 laser. Um, so I got to see his gear. I got to learn from him how he used it. And then I got to experiment on non-human things, uh, which put me in a much better position to know how that how that job worked and how that clinic worked. And then I, uh, my publisher happened to call me the next day and um, I really don't like telling people what I'm working on when I'm working on it. And my publisher knew that. Uh, and because um, I, <coughs> I think I can do the best job if I don't have lots of people kind of talking to me about it at the time, if I can give it my best shot, then hand it over to an editor, get the feedback, do the next draft, all that. I'm quite open to being edited, but it's got to work in my head first. Um, so my publisher said, uh, you know, I know you're working on something at the moment. Uh, I know you don't want to tell me about it, but people here, this was at Penguin, my publisher at the time, uh, people here would really like to, can you tell me anything about it? Because people keep bugging me wanting to find out about it. I went, okay, um, yeah, I did some research yesterday. I went and did laser skin surgery on a banana. And uh, <laughs> she went, what? Did you? And I went, yeah, I did. And, it's, and, 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 uh, and she said, why would you do that? And I said, well, I'm not telling you. I don't tell you, I don't tell you what I'm doing while I'm doing it. And she said, and, and, she, and so she was mildly frustrated but thought, okay, that's pretty exciting. And then she went and told people. She called me back the next day and said, you know that thing with the laser skin surgery on the banana? Could we see that in the book? <laughs> and so, that, okay. so I did actually write it into the book. Oh, that was nice. not part of my plan, but I did write the laser skin surgery on the banana into the book. That's cool that you're you're going into that much depth um, for some of your characters to yeah to at least stay up to date and then provide some interesting stories as well. Yeah, uh, I'm sure many med students have sutured a banana at one stage. Laser surgery <laughs> maybe is a bit next level. Yeah. Um, just another question while we're talking about being medically accurate. I think it's been often said in the last few years, especially with the Trump presidency, that we live in an age of misinformation and disinformation and fake news and that sort of thing. Do you make any kind of conscious effort to dispel any misconceptions about medicine in your works? <coughs> um, I'm conscious that sometimes I draw medicine in deliberately um, it might be uh, a condition affecting a character. It might be something in someone's line of work. Uh, and I'm conscious that each time I do that, uh, it's an opportunity to, to get something close to right, at least, to, to deliver something that's, uh, that's authentic. Um, I, I don't set out with that as my primary agenda but anytime it comes into the story i want to do what i can not to spread misinformation uh, and to present something that feels as close as i can get to an authentic lived experience in a particular job or dealing with a condition so i'm aware that a work of fiction is an opportunity to spread either information or misinformation and I try to come down on the side of information. And obviously there are a lot of stereotypes within the medical field, different specialties, personalities, everything like that. Do you ever lean into those stereotypes or do you purposely avoid um, 
I guess, stereotyping anyone in your writing? I think stereotypes are a really interesting issue when you're writing fiction and particularly character-based fiction <coughs> and trying to create a credible cast of characters for a story. Uh, and I think it's useful to be aware of uh, what the stereotypes are in particular areas and how they operate because every, every stereotype is potentially an opportunity for the author. Uh, you can either choose to deliver the stereotype or to subvert the stereotype. And sometimes if you're choosing to subvert the stereotype, uh, you can look as though you're delivering the stereotype, heading right towards it, and then you can flip it and do something else with it. Uh, and that can be a kind of powerful plot moment. Mm. So it's really useful to know what the stereotypes are uh, and then work out uh, how to handle that to serve the characters and the story as effectively as possible. In the end, the decisions I make have got to be about the characters and the story, but there certainly are opportunities to uh, to face up to stereotypes uh, and work out how I want to handle them particularly. Just in closing now, are there any things you've noticed about the medical profession uh, only now since you've distanced yourself a little bit from it? Uh, it's been really interesting to see how it's evolved since I've been part of it. Um, there's such a it's much more digital now so that, uh, you know, I wrote prescriptions by hand. I wrote my notes by hand. Uh, and now so much more happens using a keyboard and a screen and also happens electronically. Uh, images are much easier to transfer now, um, even though they're enormous files. Um, but at the same time, uh, everyone feels like they're a patient of Dr. Google. Uh, and that's so often not a helpful thing. So I think general practice now compared with when I was in general practice around 30 years ago, uh, I think GP, it's really interesting to see the issues GPs are dealing with while at the same time having some kind of core competencies uh, that don't shift over time uh, to do with connecting with patients, taking coherent histories, um, and continuing to kind of develop your um, your medical knowledge uh, and the way you practice. Um, so most of my experience of medicine in the past year or so has has been uh, as a patient much more than I much more than I would have chosen to be. Uh, so I I have a, a cardiac pacemaker. I I've had one for. 40 years now, not the same one, obviously. I'm on my seventh, I think, now. Uh, and um, last year I needed uh, I needed a new one. My batteries had flattened and my leads were getting cracked. Uh, so I needed new leads as well. I'd had these leads since the 90s. Um, but unfortunately these leads had scarred um, my, well, my subclavian vein uh, and various bits of venous tissue on the way back to the right side of my heart. Uh, and so when the new leads went in, they blocked my superior vena cava. Uh, and um, so that was useful, having a medical degree. When I woke up the next day and discovered that I was seven kilos heavier and it was all uh, the upper half of my body oh, no. and my face was expanded oh, no. and red and my fingers were all chubby and I just thought this can only be an obstructed superior vena cava, which I'd never seen before. Uh, but, you know, I... I and I called my cardiologist and said, I think, I think I've got a subtract, uh, an obstructed superior vena cava. 
and he described it to me and he went, yes, you have. Um, so in the yes. end, yeah. So the quick fixes were quick but didn't fix it. So I ended up needing to uh, go in and, and have an open heart procedure and have a uh, get a, a bovine graft for my superior vena cava and have all the old leads cut out. And, you know, so that was a, that was a big experience. Uh, but I'm pretty glad to have had that in 2022 rather than, you know, decades ago. Um, so I was out in a week and, uh, and quietly, slowly made my way back into life. But it was very interesting experiencing medicine um, as a patient uh, and seeing what contemporary medical practice uh, in things like intensive care units and all that um, is like. And um, I probably, you know, I was probably still a bit affected by the anaesthetic, uh, but and I probably shouldn't have been offering opinions on things uh, but, uh, but the people were gracious enough to just kind of go, yeah, thanks for that. And then go on with the treatment anyway. When I was saying things like, you know, when they would go, so right now your systolic's back to your systolic's um, 95. And I go, well, you know, um, that's, that's kind of roundabout what it is when I wake up in the morning anyway. So if you were, you know, thinking of easing back on the noradrenaline, you could probably make a start on that. And, you know, yeah. They just let me do it and treated me really well, and um, and and I got out of there. So, um, but it was interesting going into that, having some understanding of what was happening. I can only imagine. I think we're both very glad that you came out the other side, okay. Yeah, thank you. And it would have been a very full-on experience, I can imagine. It really was, yeah. But I think it's really, I think it's harder for the people around you uh, as well, mm. and also with. COVID around no one could come into the hospital so um so you know I was FaceTiming home and things like that from intensive care so it was good to be able to do that (laughs) to do that but um um you know while it's a challenging thing to go through um I think it's much more challenging to be just one step removed and be the partner or child of someone going through that and and worried about it whereas I didn't, I wasn't worried. I could just see that every day I was making progress and it was all going to be fine. And it was just a kind of, it took over. That was the job I had to do for that next six week period was just get home and start taking small walks that ended up as bigger walks and that eventually ended up in me, you know, running up and down the hills around the neighborhood again. Um, we're glad that you are making those improvements and I know you're saying that probably your relatives and close ones are probably more worried than you but at the in the same time like it couldn't have been an easy thing waking up in that bed and knowing um, probably what is wrong with you yeah and I guess too you've you've had all this experience and life experience um, both in the medical field and now outside of it as an author as a successful author would there be something you could leave with our medical students as a bit of advice um, I, look, I think one of the things that I think I've learned that that I that my view has changed on over the years is that um, when I started my medical degree, uh, I would have thought that the smart people were the people who knew all the answers, and now I think um, that the smart people are the people who ask questions. That's a very insightful piece of advice. I think it's something that will probably resonate with a lot of students in our cohort. Um, I just wanted to thank you again, Nichols, for coming in and talking to us today on being on this episode of Behind the Scalpel.
That's a pleasure. Look, it's been really great to talk to you. Thanks for the chance to do this. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Scalpel. See you next time, either on our next episode or at one of Sergio's upcoming events.